All right, back on the Young Turks, um, time for some interviews. But before we do that, I wanna let you know uh, who's gonna be on the show tomorrow. Uh, Ron Perlman is gonna join us, uh, so don't miss that. I think that's gonna be uh, really exciting. He's, uh, of course, a wonderful actor uh, and a huge progressive. So you're gonna wanna hear his story. We're gonna get a little bit into his life story, his career, and why he's such a strong progressive. So check that out on tomorrow's Young Turks, tyt.com slash live. Okay. Uh, joining me now is Anthony Clark. Uh, he's a candidate for Illinois 7th Congressional District. Uh, he ran last time, so you might remember him on the program. He's gonna run this time as well. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you doing today? Good, good. So, uh, Anthony, I, I wanted to talk about uh, what happened last time. So, can you talk about the results and what you learned from it? Yeah, definitely. So, for those who don't know, I was nominated in uh, 2018 alongside wonderful individuals like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and others uh, through brand new Congress and Justice Democrats. Uh, and we accepted that nomination. Uh, you know, I'm a special education teacher, disabled military veteran, founder and director of a nonprofit. But essentially, uh, when we accepted that nomination, I'll be completely honest, and we felt because we had the message. Uh, because we were boots to the ground and we were actually involved in the work, and because we had dedicated believers in the movement, that's what we needed. Uh, we were not prepared for uh, <laughs> levels of corruption uh, that exists within the establishment party, uh, the pushback that we received from uh, many individuals within the DCCC, uh, the incumbent engaging in you know certain efforts to you know keep us silent and marginalize our, our efforts. Uh, so we learned a lot. You know, we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but based upon those mistakes that we did make, uh, based upon the data that we now have, we almost got 30% of the vote. Uh, essentially not having an idea of what we were doing and learning on the fly and on the go. Uh, we think we're bigger, we know we're better, and we're ready to truly take it to the establishment in 2020 and win this thing. So was it your uh, opponent, if I remember right, uh, that had the lawn signs that just said, hey, uh, I'm the name you remember? Correct, correct. It was uh, interesting. We actually held a community event where uh, the incumbent came to the community event, uh, looked me directly into my eyes and told me that uh, I'm not going to win because I'm better than you. This was the incumbent speaking to me. Uh, I'm going to beat you because I have over 30 years of name recognition. Uh, so how that name recognition played out was his actual slogan was the name you know. And it also played out in them stealing uh, thousands thousands and thousands of dollars worth of our line signs because they wanted to prevent us from building greater name recognition. Well, now when you're on a second time, you've got more name recognition and so do you know the organizations that backed you. So it might be a totally different equation this day and age. So to one more thing before the policies, you mentioned the corruption and how the establishment helped the incumbent Democrat you were running against. So can you give us any examples of that? Uh, definitely. Uh, so I think this happens across the nation. This is not only in Chicago or Illinois, uh, but they prevent you from accessing viable voter data. Uh, so essentially, uh, when we began our campaign, uh, we had antiquated data. You know, we had older data. Uh, we were essentially knocking on doors, not knowing for sure if these were registered voters or if these were the same individuals still uh, within that residency. Uh, so we were dealing with that. Uh, it took them months uh, for them to deny us access uh, to ban and then provide us and allow us to obtain an alternative, a lesser alternative. So that was an issue. Uh, you also had to deal with being shut out essentially uh, from within the local community. The local democratic community, uh, they were not calling for debates. Uh, you know, we call for debates. We felt like in a true democracy, 
uh, individuals running in front of the community and allow them to choose and allow them to decide for themselves who best to represent them. Uh, so we were essentially shut out from the local community. Uh, they felt that if he, uh, the incumbent, uh, did not agree to a debate, then we shouldn't have one. Uh, so we had to deal with those issues. And I think most importantly, uh, they challenged our signatures. You know, my mother, my father, uh, Blanche and Ron, love them to death. What's up, pops and moms? Uh, they came out there with us to collect thousands of signatures. We know they were valid. You know, we knew we did everything the right way, uh, but they caught us in uh, the court system, uh, challenging our signatures, challenging our petition collectors, and we ended up spending over $10,000 in over a three month span that took us away from the community uh, just to get on the ballot. And so I want the audience to understand it's actually a very common tactic by incumbents because they know that the especially people like Anthony Clark who don't take corporate PAC money don't have as much resources as the incumbent does who drowns in corporate PAC money, who has all sorts of money because they're doing favors for those companies that they're getting money from. So they know, hey, if I challenge the guy in court, it doesn't have to be true and it wasn't. Anthony made it onto the ballot because his signatures were valid. Uh, but all you got to do is put him in court. It wastes his time and it wastes his precious money, and so it helps the incumbents win. It's a really dirty trick, uh, and unfortunately, it happens all the time. Now, when in your plank, uh, Anthony, you, you are, are against uh, centrism. Now, that doesn't like in in Washington, they they hate that kind of talk. They're like, oh no, centrism like Biden is awesome. If you could just work with Republicans, that would be wonderful. Correct. Are you telling me you don't want to work with Republicans like Trump and McConnell? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, let's be real here. You know, within any field, you know, whether it's political, uh, you know, I'm a teacher by trade. You have to work with other individuals, uh, but I think you have to identify a baseline of where individuals are coming from prior to engaging in conversations. You know, I'm making I statements here. I don't want to overgeneralize or speak for anyone else, but I truly believe that this nation was built upon white supremacy. Uh, for a capitalistic society to remain and maintain itself, it has to depend upon poverty, unemployment, and oppression. And I think we see that throughout this nation. Uh, so when you say something along the lines of centrism, or when you have Democratic representatives state that uh, we need to toe the middle line, you know, we need to work together. Yeah, that would be possibly fine if we're talking about the economy. Okay, if you want more government, less government, so on and so forth. But when you're talking about human rights. When you're talking about my freedom as a member of an oppressed class, when you're talking about the rights of women to choose, because we see it's a war on women now with these anti-abortion legislations being pushed, I, there's no middle ground there. You know, None of us are free until we all are free. And until we truly address white supremacy and understand how capitalism works and survives within white supremacy and every institution is built upon white supremacy, uh, we, can, we, won't, we can't have a conversation. Uh, so you're either for my freedom or you're against it. There's no middle ground there. So Anthony, you're, you're a Democrat, but you're a progressive Democrat. And uh, it, it sounds like uh, based on what I've read that you're worried the Democratic Party is failing the black community. So what's your take on that? Why do you, why do you say that? Yeah, definitely, no question. Uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up and asking it. So I think it even goes beyond the black community. Like, yes, I'm a black man, uh, but I think the Democratic Party overall is failing all oppressed communities, all oppressed classes, uh, because again, how can you truly represent the people 
if you're also being influenced and purchased by you know, these corporations and these lobbyists and these top one percenters that want to maintain a capitalistic society built upon oppression. So if you look throughout history within the 60s, when the black community, if we're speaking about them specifically, transitioned from you know, the Republican to the Democratic Party under the New Deal and many promises were made, it's impossible for me to look at a party or to look at a representative and believe that you truly are invested in my empowerment and the empowerment of others as a collective when we look at this world and see where we're at. I mean, take my district, for example, we're at 16.4% unemployment rate. We're at a 37% graduation rate. We have individuals leaving the state of Illinois, not only the city in droves, just based upon the lack of opportunity. But yet you count on our votes. Yet many Democratic incumbents in the establishment, when it's time to run for reelection, that's when you see the town halls pop up. That's when you see individuals put out their slogans, the name you know. That's when they're present and they spend money. But why aren't you present on the daily basis when our mothers are, are suffering because they're losing children? When our families are struggling because they're not making a living wage? When individuals are unemployed or underemployed and have to work three or four jobs, where are you then? So to me, any party that truly represents me and others of oppressed classes would truly be invested in empowering those oppressed classes of people. And I don't think the Democratic Party has done a good job in doing so. And as a possibility to call it out and hold them accountable. Yeah, I want to make sure everybody knows the website, voteanthonyclark.com. And by the way, you can always volunteer and donate, which makes a giant difference, especially when somebody's not taking corporate PAC money and fighting for their community like Anthony Clark is. Anthony, I forget, were you in Knock Down the House? I thought I saw you in some of the scenes. Uh Oh, yes, my <laughs> my debut, I had like a 10 second clip where you this big face of mine, and it was like Anthony Clark Chicago, and then it phased out. And then, uh, yes, you saw me later in Knock Down the House. This is actually my second documentary. I was in another one as well on Stars called America to Me, Episode 8. Uh, so it showed me teaching in my classroom. But yes, Corey Bush, Amy Villella, Paula Jean Swears, and they're great friends of mine. They're actually coming to Chicago this weekend uh, for Knock Down the House screening and also to help me with my campaign. And of course, the fourth person in that movie was Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, also part of the same movement, obviously, Anthony was in. And now with her win, I think folks like Anthony have a lot better chance. Real quick, Anthony, and you have better name recognition, and you're fighting for the right things in the community. You can tell, yes, I, the rest of the media, I am biased. I favor progressives over people who haven't done anything in years and years and whose slogan is the name you know. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm not doing anything for you, but you know my name. Wow, what a great slogan. Anyway, last thing real quick, I, I know it's a big topic, but you, you like a lot of the Democratic Party uh, say we just gotta get rid of Trump and everything will be all right. Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, no, uh, Trump is a symptom. And if you just focus on treating symptoms, uh, the illness still remains. Uh, we have to address the root causes. And I think again, that's part of the Democratic Party's uh, mantra and practice to just point fingers instead of looking ourselves in the mirror and understands how systems are in place. You know, we need single payer health care. We need a Green New Deal. Uh, you know, we need to address the housing situation. Home Housing should be a human right. We could go on and on. You could check my platform, but no, uh, Trump, if we just get rid of him, the illness remains and there'll just be another individual and another individual that pushes and gaslights and tries to, you know, again, magnify white supremacy and push for our oppression.
All right, if you're watching this later on any of the platforms like YouTube and Facebook, all the links will be down below in the description box. So make sure you check that out. Anthony Clark, thank you so much for joining us again on The Young Turks. Thank you, I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. All right, when we come back, speaking of Chicago, there's a disastrous new program in Chicago where they're tracking kids with GPS monitors without their consent. It's so stunning, I had trouble believing it. We're gonna have a guest to talk about that. We'll be right back. All right, back on the Young Turks. I want to actually read two comments before we go to the next interview. John Hickestrews is a cop, writes in. <laughs> Let's be honest, the real crime here are those hair plugs from 1989. Okay, that's awesome, referring to Joe Biden. Then Gabby Marita says, okay, but also very important question, who's on old school tonight? And will there be amazing debates about food? Because those are the best old schools. I think we can do that about food. My special guest host tonight on Old School, John Idarola. So maybe we could talk about pie. <laughs> so, yes, me and Johnny Pie are unique old school. So that ought to be fun. I'm going to ask him about what his, don't tell him, by the way, <laughs> what his dream life is like among the conversations we'll have on Old School tonight. All right. Of course, members get all that tyt.com slash join. Joining me now is Kira Lerner from The Appeal. She's a reporter there. And she had a fascinating story that actually wound up having an impact. Kira, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you for having me. No problem. So I did not know about this program, and I guess that's why you're a reporter uncovering these things. So we all know about ankle monitors. And apparently in Cook County, where Chicago is, they were putting ankle monitors on the kids to track their location. So that's fairly common. But apparently these ankle monitors were also doing something else. What was that? Exactly, I was surprised to learn this as well. I got a tip from a defense attorney in Chicago who let me know that some of her clients, her juvenile clients who were pre-trial, were being equipped with these new ankle monitors that she had never seen before. And I did a little digging, went through Chicago's contracts and found out that these new monitors had an ability to, basically they had a built-in telephone if you could not decline a call on your telephone. These monitors had the ability to have electronic monitoring officials speak directly with children through their ankles. They could also record what the children were saying, any sounds that were going on around them. And they could listen and record them essentially without consent. So. It's one thing, first of all, to get a call on your ankle monitor, that's already creepy. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's another thing if you can call them. But how do we know if they're not recording all the time? Well, we actually did know that they were recording during specific times. The contract called for Track Group, the corporation that runs these ankle monitors, to record the kids and hold on to those recordings for 18 months. And your question about whether or not they're recording all the time is a very valid one. At least one child who was on one of these monitors and his mom asked me the same exact thing. And they had no way to know that Chicago officials weren't able to tap into her son's angle at any time and listen what was going on. In fact, in Puerto Rico, which is the only other case I found of these devices being used in 2014, an official with Track Group did testify that the company had an ability to listen to people without playing any kind of notification or letting them know that an official was going to be listening. 
So I, I love that we have to get confirmation of that. And, and it's great that they did get confirmation. So we know for a fact that they can listen and record those things. But there's a mic on the ankle monitor. Of course, they can listen anytime. Right? It's super obvious. So, exactly. Yeah. And not only could they listen to the kid, and not only did they not, in the one story that you tell of a 15 year old, they didn't tell him. But on top of that, they could also listen to anyone else who's in that room, right? Right, you have to imagine that these kids are talking to their family members, they're talking to friends, they're going to school, they're in their bed, they're in the bathroom. There's all types of issues that arise when you think about a microphone being on their ankle. Uh, one attorney told me that she can't even begin to consider the parade of horribles that these uh, that this device rises. I mean, you think about a child who's meeting with his attorney and talking about his upcoming trial, and then you have Chicago officials able to potentially listen to that. Um, there's just a number of privacy and civil liberty concerns that Chicago apparently did not think about before they adopted this new contract. Yeah, I had not considered the bathroom. Uh, so that's insane. Um, and uh, we know that in prison, uh, when you're making a phone call, people listen in, and it's not like they've got a lot of qualms about that. So uh, if if they don't tell you and you're not informed and they start listening, uh, it, it's this is a type of situation where they would record and listen even more than a normal situation. And so it is absolutely ripe for abuse. Um, but you did get something done about this, didn't you? Uh, is did they suspend this at all or are they still doing it? Yeah, so two different things happened in the course of my reporting. The first was right before I published my story, I reached out to officials in the Cook County court system just to hear their take and hear how many of these concerns they listened to and they considered before they signed this new contract. When I first reached out, it seemed that Cook County panicked a little bit. When they finally got back to me with a statement, they said that they were going to launch an internal review. And in the meantime, they would stop holding onto the recordings from these ankle monitors for 18 months, meaning that they could no, if they had been using the recordings in the course of criminal investigations, that was something that could no longer happen. Um, and then after I published my story, a few days later, Chicago got back to me. Um, there was a bunch of backlash and, and anger on the internet. Uh, and Chicago said that they were actually going to be discontinuing the use of the communication function altogether. Um, and anyone who wanted to reach out to a child with an ankle monitor would have to use a more traditional form of communication like a cell phone. Um, and they couldn't speak directly through a child's ankle. Man, I love that. I love when good reporting gets results and and positive change. So yeah, thank you. Great work, Kira. Uh, but as you were explaining that, I thought, well, isn't that funny? What do they need it for anyway? Unless they're surreptitiously listening in on the kids, it's not like it's complicated to call them on a phone. Right. Well, their explanation was that kids and teenagers can be hard to track down on cell phones. Often they share phones with family members or they don't pick up 
or uh, they don't have a cell phone. Um, but we've used electronic monitoring um, on children across the country for a while now, and no one else has had to use these uh, specific devices with, with built-in communication. So there are other ways to do this, um, and no one could verify that these recordings were not being used for criminal investigation. So it, it's definitely a concern. Yeah, yeah, total nonsense. This is, I had a conversation uh, on one of our shows recently about people say, oh, like Google Hangouts are easier than a phone. No. There's nothing easier than a phone. You pick it up, you call, you get the person. It's right. super easy. We do it all across the country in 99% of the cases. There's no good reason for this. And in fact, in, in Illinois, don't they have a law against eavesdropping when the other person does not know that, that they're being listened to? They do. In 2014, Illinois passed an eavesdropping law that prohibits um, the use of, of devices like this that can listen to people without their consent. Um, something that's interesting in this particular ankle monitor situation is that the questions of consent are murky. Um, I had some experts tell me that uh, Chicago could assume that when a child agrees to go on an ankle monitor instead of being detained in jail, that he or she is signing over consent. Um, but others raise the alarm that consent to be on an ankle monitor is not a carte blanche blanket consent to have all of these privacy intrusions and have someone listening to you at all times. You know, since it's uh, illegal in Illinois to do that, maybe we should arrest the people who were putting the ankle bracelets on put an ankle bracelet on them and listen in on their conversations. That's a thought, although I would not advocate the use of ankle monitors on more people at all. We know um, that there are a lot of problems that come with electronic monitoring in general. Um, I've done reporting on how even when ankle monitors don't have these uh, creepy communication functions, they are still problematic. Um, a woman who spent time with an ankle monitor in Chicago, um, who had two kids that she was caring for while she had this ankle monitor on, told me that it was like being inside a miniature prison inside her home, and she actually found it worse than being in prison because she was responsible for taking care of her children while she was on this device. Um, where while she was in prison, at least her kids were taken care of by someone else. Um, and a lot of people would say that having an ankle monitor is better than being in detention, of course. But I think there's a lot of uh, concerns and issues that we're not thinking about in an effort to reduce our jail and prison populations. All right, uh, the website's theappeal.org. Kara Lerner, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for doing some great reporting. Thank you. All right, uh, now uh, we have a little bit of time and I, I just wanted to squeeze this story in because it's so much fun. Uh, new report out, uh, Donald Trump uh, has spent, or actually the government has, I wish it was Donald Trump who spent it, uh, has spent over $100 million on Donald Trump's golf outings. Oh my God. $102 million for all of his golf outings in Florida, New Jersey, and even in Scotland. Some of the expenses are so outrageous that in this trip to Scotland, where of course he always goes to his own golf courses, why? To get free promotion and marketing, that's why they're going. They spent $1.3 million on just rental cars, unbelievable. And now of course you're not gonna be surprised to find out that Trump, before he was elected president, complained about how much golf Obama was playing. He's like, oh, he's lazy, he doesn't get any work done, he's constantly golfing. I'd be out there fixing things and making sure that the government was running right. Really? Okay, so I thought, by the way, and I've been clear about this all throughout, that Obama played way too much golf. 
You know that up until now, at the same time of, of the Obama's first term, he had played 70 rounds of golf. 70 is a huge number, in my opinion, in two and a half years. I don't know, maybe you guys are you know, big golfers and you think that's no big deal. First of all, I couldn't afford 70 rounds. <laughs> I couldn't even do that on pitching, but anyway, Obama does 70. You know how many Trump has done in the same period of time? 177, 177. Are you, are you working at all? And we know the answer to that. The good news is he's doing less work because all the things that he is working towards are disastrous. But get a load of how much $102 million is to give you some comparisons. Trump brags about how he turned down his presidential salary. This amount, and by the way, he's gonna do a lot more golfing in the next year and a half. But already this amount is 255 times his salary. So he's like, I'll turn down the salary and I'll spend 255 times as much on my golfing outfit, uh, not outfits, although that's possible too, outings. Uh, it's three times the cost of the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, which he constantly complains about. Oh, I cost too much money. Your golfing costs three times as much. And finally, uh, you remember they cut the Special Olympics, got huge blowback, and then had to put the money uh, for that program back in. Uh, you could have six years of the Special Olympics on how much uh, was spent by the government on Donald Trump's golf trips. So that's who Donald Trump is. And he sold himself to the MAGA guys as an average guy who's gonna stick up for the little guy while he's ripping us off to no end. Okay, uh, that's uh, the conversation. We've got a whole other half hour for that's for the members. And then we got a whole other show, old school, also for the members. Uh, you can watch those live if you're a member, tyt.com slash join. Uh, that's the way to do it, and I'll be back in a minute.